Cuckoo clock is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Roar! And open the door to join us for the 58th meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm patiently awaiting another 17 years for my hibernation to be over. Meredith. And I'm Caustic Chondrichthes, Brand Club's new exfoliant for sharks. Mike. And we meet every week at our clubhouse. We like to call the Dalmatian Station. Roar! Roar! To talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow. So saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom animalia. Woohoo! So is this the last animal fan club of 2020? This is it. It's the rooftop show. The rooftop show. Wait, what's that a reference to? The Beatles, the rooftop concert. Was that... A New Year's thing? No, it was like their last concert. It's the rooftop concert of 2020 because it's the final concert of 2020. I see. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So music historian I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, Meredith, how was your weekend animals? Well, it it was fine. Um, see on my list in my in my notes, I had I don't know if you saw this, but um on SNL this week, the musical guest was Dua Lipa. <laughs> oh, I did not see that. No. But she, in her second performance, was having such a jellyfish moment, and it was fabulous. Like, she had on this, like, gorgeous white dress. I mean, she's, like, an incredibly gorgeous woman. Mm -hmm. But, like, a huge hat. Like, huge, like, kind of almost like a mushroom top. But then it had all these, like, white marabou feathers, like, cascading off of it. Uh Almost like jellyfish tentacles. I love that. And the way marabou feathers kind of move, it just was very, like, undersea vibes and the lighting was like all very like you know like stage lighting and for music for like a concert right so it was just she was giving all these like neon like jellyfish vibes it was fantastic i thought it was like some of the coolest costuming i'd seen in a while what are the salient features of a marabou feather um i like to think that they're used on a lot of muppets as kind of like fun hair okay sure Like if you can think about um dr teeth like his band, a lot of their hair is marabou feathers. They're like very- um, Wispy almost. Wispy, yeah. Wispy is like the key word here. That's the salient feature of a marabou feather. Okay. That they make great hair and they they like catch the breeze really well. Any movement will kind of like send them afloat. They just have like a great movement to them. Did that make you think of last week's salps? Did you feel any sort of cilia- energy in them a little bit i guess i was getting way more jellyfish uh-huh like a snodarian perhaps sure sure yeah yeah but then right before so i had that is my like main note but then right before this i was watching an old jeopardy with my mom and i'd seen this episode before actually i think because there's a guy on there whose name was lizard he was like in the third slot his name was lizard and like his little bio part after the first commercial break, he was literally talking about how he was growing a dewlap. Whoa. It looked like, from the front, it looked like a, um, a goatee. Uh-huh. But it extended, like, down his neck so he could try to better communicate with his iguanas. Cool. <laughs> I was like, your name's Lizard. 
you're growing a dewlap to communicate with your iguanas. And then I was like imagining like his iguanas at home when he was on Jeopardy and they're like raising their little spindly beard feet in like celebration. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if they got any of their chameleon friends to send him positive crystal energy. (gasps) You know what? I bet they did, but not enough because he didn't win. The weird little like wiry organ player in between Ooh. <laughs> next to him one. Never underestimate a wiry organ player. That's my best advice. Yeah, he was a lot. I kept saying, Michael, breathe. Michael, breathe. Because he was just whew, tightly wound. Having trouble breathing. <laughs> well, that's lovely, Meredith. I'll give you a quick New York pigeon update because I know that's something oh. that you need. I do need that. Thank you. I don't see enough around here. Well, Meredith, there's been flocks of pigeons. We have winter pigeons. Iridescence is in. <gasps> yes. Mm-hmm. It's been fun to see them about. I've been kind of caught up in a couple flocks recently. Oh, no. It's slush puddle season here in New York as well, Meredith. Ew. I've been really channeling my ungulate energy as I sort of jeté across these large <gasps> slush puddles. Oh. We might hear more about some of that later. Oh, interesting. (laughs) And then, Meredith, the other thing that I'll say about animal energy is I've been playing a lot of my hand drums recently that have natural animal skin as opposed to like a synthetic plastic skin. Sure. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking about the individual animal and how Mm -hmm. I can, I guess, honor them with the playing of the instrument and how... Sure. If only as many years after I'm gone, I'm still making music. So I'm trying to sort of celebrate that power, which granted they did not give willingly, but right. um, I think should still be respected. For sure. For sure. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That moment of contemplation. That's so good. Yeah, it's been nice. It's been a nice little contemplation journey. Cool. What kind of music are you playing? Apocalypso? I am doing a little bit of Apocalypso. Actually, well, on the the World to Come, that big musical podcast, the episode that just came out mm-hmm. on December 21st, episode eight, has a lot of hand... That's actually what I was playing a lot of the hand drums for. Ah. And I have a video that is in the late stages of production currently that shows all of the different hand drums that I played and kind of the process of building layers and layers so that's what I was doing that for. Thank God for podcasting to keep me motivated artistically in this moment. You're telling me, honey. Phew. Thank goodness. Well, on that note. Yeah. Uh, I go first. I'm you sure do. Pretty much ready to kick it off with the old taxonomy cheer. Are you ready? Okay. Taxonomy you. Taxonomy. Taxonomy who? Taxonomy. Kingdom. Animalia. We can talk about fungus another time. Phylo. Chordata. Notochords. Class. Acidiaceae. They have a tunic made of carbs. Order. Stolidobronchia. They fold their pharyngeal basket. Family. Stylelidae. An order of ascidian tunicates. Genus. Polycarpa. It's a genus. Species. Arata. It's quite photogenic, a.k.a. Goldmouth sea squirt, ink spot sea squirt, or ox heart ascidian. <laughs> Sea squirts, ew. Yeah, sea squirts, ascidians. This one's the ox heart ascidian. 
Okay. I'm just kind of fixated on tunicates, Meredith. Ultimately, that's what this is about. Clearly. This is about a bit of like cordata questions that I seek resolution <laughs> to. So let's just kind of jump into it again. Okay. Kingdom Animalia. We can talk fungus another time. Phylum Chordata Notochords. I knew I had to brace myself when Notochords came back into the yep. came back into the chat. You know. So <laughs> remember tunicates, which are these sort of jelly-like creatures that yes. live in generally aquatic environments, are still chordata, even though they don't have a spine in the way that we think of it. And we think of chordata as being the vertebrates, the spined creatures. We've even said, sit up straight, you vertebrate. <laughs> but there are members of the phylum chordata that do not have spines in the way that we traditionally understand them. Right. But as long as they have a notochord at some point in their evolution or their life cycle, they are considered chordates. Right. So the notochord is essentially the spine. It's, quote, a flexible rod formed by material similar to cartilage. If a species has a notochord at any stage in its life cycle, it is a chordate. Okay. I... In us apes, in our anurin friends, our frogs and toads, in our squamates, our lizard friends, our ungulates, our carnivora, all of class aves, also chordates. And it's the spine. It's what we think of, the vertebrates. The dorsal nerve cord is the second feature that's unique to chordates, the spinal cord. The third, the pharyngeal slits, like gill slits. Mm -hmm. All chordates have them. For most, the anterior pharyngeal arch gives rise to our oral jaw. And the second pharyngeal arch becomes the hyoid and jaw support. It's like, get into it. They evolved from nephridia, okay? So, like... Okay. (laughs) For most of us in terrestrial animals, like mammals and birds, pharyngeal slits are only present during embryonic development. Right. And they develop into the jaw and inner ear bone, remember? So that's your kind of pharyngeal slits. Yes, yes, yes. Your gills. All right. We got number four, a post-anal tail, which is the tail that extends beyond the anus. So like think about fish (laughs) and monkeys and stuff. And like we have a tail bone, you know, blah, blah, blah. Kitties. Also, yes, kitties, dogs, pandas. Also, endostyles, a.k.a. the thyroid. Okay, chordates, chordata. (laughs) It also includes the fucking subphylum tunicata, which is a marine invertebrate animal, a member of the subphylum tunicata. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Because it has a dorsal nerve cord and at some point in its life cycle, a notochord. Right. (sighs) Tunicates were at one time called urochordata, and it's still sometimes used to describe the subphylum and they are the only members of the phylum that have lost their myomeric segmentation okay now what's that it's like (laughs) if you cut open a fish and it has that kind of like w shape to the muscle tissue you know what i mean like that you can see very evidently in fish meat okay i think i how it's kind of like layers of tissue that was what i found it pointing to the myomeric segmentation was referencing V and W shapes in muscle fibers. Okay. And it seemed like it would be particularly evident around the meat of the rib, but it did also seem like it was present elsewhere in other creatures, like in creatures in general. So this- It's a general muscle structure. So it's like this muscle structure is what makes like fish flaky when you eat it. Yes. Okay. That, That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And the tunicates are the only chordates that have lost that 
segmentation. Okay. With the possible exception of the serration of the gill slits. So, you know. Of course. Of course. There's always an exception with these guys. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Class. And Sidiacea. A S I C I D I A C E A. Their tunics are made of carbs. <laughs> so, this is a polyphyletic class in the subphylum tunicata. Okay. So, polyphyletic, right? Lots of different ancestors. It's not one common ancestor. It's not monophyletic. It's polyphyletic. Right. They're characterized by their outer tunic, which is tougher. It's like tough because it's made of polysaccharide cellulose. So these like the bad boys with the tunicates with their leather jackets kind of? Yeah, except their leather jackets are essentially made out of like bread. So they're like also the Oprah of <laughs> tunicates. <laughs> I love bread. <laughs> yeah. So look, okay. That was the class. <laughs> now, when we get to family and then genus and then species, you know, it's another of like kind of a rush to the finish. Mm-hmm. Like uh, family Stiele Day, it's a family of ascidian tunicates and Polycarpa is a genus of ascidian tunicates. Sure. Polycarpa arata, which is the species in question, the ox heart tunicate is uh species. So I think this is another example of like where, you know, the taxonomy system kind of breaks down around order and just kind of becomes like, okay, like order is really where it's categorized. And then family genus and species is just like, there's so many fucking variations on these species. you got to put them somewhere. But like, right, right. What are the defining characteristics you're not going to find from a cursory wikipedia investigation like the wikipedia community is not quite that into sea squirts apparently <laughs> really a lot of red links on these sea squirt articles i just have to say oh is this the one um i think i saw this last week when we were just like looking at tunicates it's a very photogenic it's purple it's gorgeous yeah it, it looks like a body part like an organ it looks like a heart yeah. it looks like a heart where the inhalant and the exhalant siphon kind of look like aortas and yes uh, i guess whatever the anti-aorta is the b <laughs> one of the pictures though you got to be careful because one of the pictures that's floating around has a nudie branch laying an egg spiral on the polycarpa arata in damn it nudie branch i know it's off the coast of east timor so don't be confused and think that that's part of the creature but it looks like an organ which is the other fucking freaky thing because it's a fucking cordata so it's kind of just like <sighs> this organ growing on a rock like isn't that weird it's like sort of like that image from our yearbooks in middle school with the mouse and it grew an ear on its back and they're like look we're cloning human body parts this is what <laughs> happened this year and you're like okay that's kind of a lot 1998 was gr- a great year <laughs> yeah okay so Look, Meredith, the <laughs> species, it's its about 5 to 15 centimeters, 2 to 6 inches. It's got a so-called urn-shaped, but I would say heart-shaped, hollowed body. Two siphons. It's got one at the top, one at the side. Yeah. It's white with purple and orange patches and purple lines. The inside's yellow and orange. It looks like very ox heart colors, like ox bloods. Burgundy sort of regal colors, giving you kind of mm-hmm. like a golden mouth moment too. It's like very purple Ugh. and gold. It kind of looks like it's like a stately, 
It's like something that would appear at Mardi Gras before dark. You know what I mean? And then it would kind of like be there for a little bit after dark, but before midnight, like that shit would be moved away because it's so fine. Just doesn't need to be puked on. Right, right. It's so fine. (laughs) Yeah. The species is mostly in the tropical eastern ocean and the western Pacific. We're talking like in the Philippines, Indonesia, northern Australia. Typically lives 5 to 50 meters. That's like 16 to 164 feet. Feetsies. Feetsies. Tunicates are filter feeders. They like phytoplankton, bacteria, other food particles. They'll inhale it through their bronchial siphon at the top and filter out all the stuff that they want and expel through the atrial siphon on the side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hydroids and algae grow on the outside of the tunicate and nudie branches like to lay their eggs on it, <laughs> sometimes feed on it, you know, whatever. So, Meredith, let's just kind of like get back to tunicates in general because okay these tunicates that we've just discussed today they are mostly or they live individually okay so they're like on their own right but then there's the other ones in the colonies they have two tubular openings there's siphons they're inhalant exhalant siphons so i think we can relate these to mollusks in that sense as they're sort of creatures that live on the premise of if you're floating about in water If you inhale the water into your organism, your mechanism of processing and refining the essential bits out of the water, and then expel it out your exhalant siphon to remove Mm -hmm. the water so that you just hold on to the good bits. It's a similar process, right? So I think it's kind of cool the tunicates as being like a basic life form you know it's a very sure base system like if you really think of it you're a chemical reaction right right you just take stuff in and you push stuff out and like everything that else that happens <laughs> is just kind of gravy you know <laughs> sometimes when it comes out it is gravy uh-huh it's true sometimes <laughs> most of the tunicates in this world are sessile most adults at least as our ox blood heart friend is Meaning they just sit there. Meaning that they just sit there. Sessile is that they're immobile. They're permanently attached to rocks or surfaces. Mm -hmm. We first encountered that word with our giant clams, a mollusk friend. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Mollusk Mm -hmm. pals. They'll sometimes be surrounded by like a little bed of bryozoans, which are like a sort of type of gelatinous sort of creature thing. That's, I think, (laughs) I think it's actually a different phylum. I remember being like, ah, Line of inquiry, bryozoans, because we've talked about them before, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Remember last week we were talking about our salps, which are a type of tunicate. Mm-hmm. And the salps, they would float around and reproduce asexually and then as individuals. And then they'd get together in these giant chains where they'd reproduce sexually. And when they were young, they'd be females. And when they were old, they'd be males. So they had a very complicated life cycle. Yes, I mean, I actually couldn't really get specific information because the Ascidians was where it really referenced sexual reproduction. That was like the last place. That was the furthest place along on the taxonomy cheer where I could get and still have information on reproduction. And it was just sure they sometimes produce by one of two strategies. It's like they'll either be broadcast spawners or philopatric spawners so it's either a very long range (laughs) dispersal or a very short range dispersal 
Philopatric is the word. That sounds like some Irish Catholic stuff. Yeah, it certainly is guilt-laden. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Philopatry is the tendency of an organism to stay in or habitually return to a particular area. Sounds like the Patricks I know. Does sound like some Patricks that I've met. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, Meredith, I don't know. Do you have any tuna kit questions or queries? Like, I'm just trying to get more questions answered about tuna kits. I'm trying to understand because it's it's like they have these little spines like early in their development, but then they lose them and they're just essentially gelatinous. And the only reason that you really like know what's up is because of their fucking pharynx and shit, you know? And like this one category, the stolidobranchia, which is the order that's where it's like they have folded pharyngeal baskets <laughs> and in ancient greek the i don't know the <sighs> stolio i guess or however you'd pronounce that but that's i guess what those symbols would roughly translate to is uh means the fold of a cloth man and they have the complete absence of an abdomen the the organs that other tunicates keep inside their abdomen are located to one side of the pharyngeal basket. So, hey, man, put your organs in there, too. That's cool. <laughs> it's like Operation yeah. Bread Basket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't have any specific questions. It's just like one, like it just gets more and more complex with like every little thing you mention. A pharyngeal basket. And it's like, it makes me think of, there's this comedian, Howard Kramer, like one of his shticks is that like, why do we ever study space? Like the ocean is so vastly unstudied in all of its complexities. And yet we're so like obsessed with space travel and like what's going on out in space. And he thinks we should just say fuck it to anything space related and just focus on the ocean. Yeah, I mean. And I kind of get it. I mean, like, as I hear your your salp talk and your tunicate talk, I just. Yeah. I'm more confused than I was going into it, which is how learning is, right? Meredith, we haven't even talked about sea tulips, sea liver, or sea pork. <laughs> Again, the filthiest creatures of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got to watch out for that sea pork. Yeah. They're actually very clean. I mean, look. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really fun. I think that it is. There's like enigmatic historical prehistory species. There exists not a fossil of tunicates that is undisputed, you know. It's just like a whole thing and I right. have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. There's a multi-taxon molecular study from 2010 that proposed sea squirts are descended from a hybrid between a chordate and a protosome ancestor. Like what the fuck? And it's like it was based on a quartet <laughs> partitioning approach designed to reveal horizontal gene transfer events among metazoan phyla. Oh. It's like, okay, yeah, horizontal gene transfer. Well, I can just scroll over that and it'll tell me something about it. Horizontal gene transfer is the movement of genetic material between unicellular and or multicellular organisms other than by the vertical transmission of DNA from parent to offspring. Um, what? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, 
cool. Well, Metazoanphyla, like fucking <laughs> Metazoanphyla is definitely the name of one of my new noise projects, you know? Yes, please. Metazoan. What the fuck does Metazoan mean, yo? Let's find out. <laughs> An animal of the Metazoan division. Well, thanks. It comprises all animals having the body composed of cells differentiated into tissues and organs. So I guess we're metazoan. Well, that's something to be proud of. Yeah. Cool. Well, hey. I'll take that in 2020. Yeah, you learn something new every day. (laughs) Meredith, I think that's kind of all for now. There's 3,000 total species of tunicates. I mean, like, I I guess. Damn. I guess now we know. Now we know a little (laughs) bit more about tunicates. I still don't know that it's, like, really that much usable information. I don't completely understand their life cycle. <laughs> or their lifestyle. Right. But I respect it and I accept them into the house of Cordata with open <laughs> ape arms. You know, last week I was a little bit on the fence about this. But I think I'm warming to it too. I'm feeling my ape arms opening as ah, well. What a blessing, Meredith. <laughs> it's a New Year miracle. On that note, do you want to take a quick break and just kind of swing around in these trees? Maybe eat some bananas? Yes, please. Right. Dreams. Fantasy. Imagination. Hooves. Let it all run wild. At full bore. The Black Forest's premier Suede Strip Club. Featuring a herd of over 300 prime wild boar specimens. To fit your every flavor. Full Boar, the Black Forest's premier Suey Day strip club features. Male boars ready to fight it out. For all you adventurous piggies looking for love. Or a bevy of beautiful boars in estrus. For those of you looking for a warm, bristly touch. And all completely nude. Come frolic in our forest. From 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. At Full Boar. In the oak grove, next to the old silver mine. Internet Pet Sometimes they are Internet Meredith, it's time again. Animal pet product reviews. It's a really fitty season for it. Everybody's buying lots of things, especially on the internet. We're here to read the reviews of the animal pet products so you do not have to. Yeah, so it's like it's after Christmas. Fido and Whiskers have opened their gifts. And now the reviews are pouring in. Let's see what we've got. All right, Meredith. Well, I have the so-called multi-pet Gumby plush dog. (laughs) Okay. Inch. That seems to be the name of the product. Multi-pet Gumby plush dog inch. (laughs) It's a sort of dog chew toy. It's shaped like Gumby, the iconic character we all know. First review up, Lanny, five stars. Oddest reaction to a toy ever. Gumby has been in my home for about two weeks now. My dog grabbed Gumby out of my hand when I took it out of the box and it's become his new favorite toy. Everywhere that he goes in the house, Gumby's hanging out of his mouth. If he's laying down somewhere, Gumby isn't far away. He treats the toy different than his other ones that I have purchased for him. It's not a chew toy to him, and he doesn't throw it around. He just holds it in his mouth all the time. It's just odd, but 
we're going with it because it seems to make him happy. Oh, <laughs> so cute. Yeah, Lanny, five stars. I love that. Isn't that, isn't that nice? <laughs> That's really sweet. Yeah. Oh, I want to see a picture of that. Well, Meredith, what's your first product in your first product review? So we've got the Whisker City Long Braided Feather Teaser Cat Toy. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, let's scroll down and read some reviews. First review up, it says it's one star. Bad product. It fell apart the second day of using it. Very disappointed because I only bought it due to the, due to the fact that it seems to be more stable than the the two-piece plastic toys, but it actually broke a lot quicker. Oh. <laughs> okay. And here's another one that says, one star, not that great. Cat, not that interested. I'm glad I didn't pay full price. Oh, yeah. wow. So, I mean, and then there are some reviews here. It's just like, my cats love it. Kittens love this toy. It is good quality and better than any other teaser I've ever gotten. I recommend this product. Well, Meredith, let me read a one-star review from the Gumby. Oh, <laughs> okay. This is from Pun Pal. It's called The Tragic Mauling of Gumby. My dog loved Gumby. Alas, the affair was short-lived. Gumby arrived this afternoon, and in under an hour, he had lost his stuffing, his squeaker, and a leg. Or maybe it's an arm. Hard to tell in his current state as a multiple amputee. <laughs> I know dogs are hard on the toys they love. That's kind of the point. But Mr. Bill, purchased from Amazon a few weeks ago, is still in one piece, and my dog loves him too. Hmm. Granted, he ripped his speaker out, so he no longer says, Oh, no! Oh, no! But there is a silver lining there. If your dog has teeth, skip Gumby. Wow. Like night and day. Which leads us to our third review. Okay. From Addicted Shopper. Three stars. LOL, it's Gumby. I wanted this toy because I thought it would be hilarious to see a dog with Gumby in his mouth. <laughs> the description says it is not for aggressive chewers, and I would concur with that fact. He was able to get the squeaker out rather easily and then continue to work at pulling out the stuffing. Once it was just a shell of Gumby left, the dog was no longer interested. Wow. I'm sensing a trend here. Meredith, I would like to say that the three-star review titled LOL It's Gumby is the best representation of the toy review because it's like, well, I don't know. It's shaped like Gumby. It costs $6. <laughs> yeah, he tore it apart. He's an aggressive chewer. I'm frankly not surprised that he did that to a dog toy. Right. And then he didn't care about it. See, that's... And so I threw it away. See, that's... I mean, you got to have that... That You've got to have that approach. Yeah, a sort of objectivism. Right. Okay. So here is my final one. So this is in reference to the Merry and Bright Holiday Chimney Santa Dog Toy Plush Squeaker. And... <laughs> So this toy is like, essentially, it's like a brick pattern. Like the top of the toy is like a brick pattern then to like look like a chimney. Mm -hmm. or I guess the top of a chimney. And then there's little Santa legs poking out of the top mm -hmm. as if Santa is stuck in the chimney. And this is the dog. Santa toy. Claus is stuck in my chimney. There's a good song uh, called that that you would actually really like. <laughs> Santa Claus is stuck in my chimney. <laughs> this review is titled Disappointed 2. I was going to buy this for my fur baby who loves all his plush friends. I tried six or seven of these while waiting to pay for my purchases. None of them squeaked. No sale. Too bad because it's cute and the price was right. So this person didn't buy this. They went home and made a point of logging on to the World Wide Web 
finding this product and then giving it a one star review. <laughs> yeah. How, how does that make you feel, Meredith? And all I have to say with all of these things, it's just like get a hobby or maybe their hobby is like right. trolling corp- pet corporations on the Internet, which whatever. Well, who am I to say what's right or wrong? This comes back, though, to a thing that I feel very strongly about is that people are not allowed the freedom to pursue creative endeavors. And people are presented with this situation where the only way that you can get into anything is if you're an absolute expert in it Mm -hmm. and that if you're going to speak on it, that you have to be the only authority. And it's just this rejection of amateurism and I think a loss of fun and frivolity and uh, it makes me so mad. It would be one thing. Like, if they went on here and gave, like, a funny review that had, like, wordplay and, like, you know, it was well-written, I understand. Get it, get your creative kicks out by writing fun reviews. I think all of your, your Gumby reviews were actually pretty witty. Well, I Like, those people seemed to have, like, a sense of what was going on there. And, like... There's a perspective. I would say that my five-star review was maybe projecting a little bit in terms of diagnosing the strangeness of this attachment. Like, it doesn't really sound that unusual. It sounds like your dog got this toy and was particularly fond of it and treated it more like a child or a precious thing than something to rip apart. So, like, maybe that's nice. But this, like, projection of, like, it's strange Mm -hmm. and I don't understand, but he seems happy. Like, that, it sounds like Lanny needs to work through this with someone. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, like, and Pun Pal, I think, had, like, a little bit of fun. And he was like, I don't know. It's hard to tell. He's a multiple amputee. Right. It's hard to tell. See, that's cute. It's cute. And it's just like, I don't know. This thing just kind of fell apart. Like, that's a legitimate review. But then the three stars is like, I don't know. LOL. It's hilarious. The dog has gummy in its mouth. Like, whatever. Yeah. He's an aggressive chewer in general. And he completely destroyed this product. It's like all three reviews seem to be rooted in realism. With right. perhaps the exception of the first review, but even that, it's mostly realism with a projection of, I don't understand, and I don't know, and I don't get it, and it's not for me, but I just let him live. And it's like, well, I don't know what that has to do with anything, lady, but that's not about Gumby and your dog. That's about something else, but you're putting it onto Gumby and the dog. So, like, okay, that's cool. I'm glad that you have coping mechanisms. I guess my thing with this is, like, don't buy a pet toy if you don't want it to either like be ignored or destroyed. Right, right. You know. Right. Like these are hunters and I mean in terms of cats. I mean these are carnivora. Well, also in terms of dogs. That are Both dogs and cats are carnivora. Designed, yeah. They're designed to literally rip flesh. And then people get on here and get upset when their toy, a toy, a manufactured thing gets torn apart by a thing that is literally, like, by nature designed to tear apart. Yeah. Or, like, even my cat ignored it. Okay, maybe your cat just isn't into feather toys. Right. I literally bought Claude a $5 pouncing prawn catnip toy, which he played with, but not nearly with the same vigor with which he played with, like, the little... I took the, like, plastic top off of a olive oil bottle, like, the wrapping, and threw the little ring down on the ground, played with it forever, like an idiot, like a brilliant 
adorable, beautiful little idiot. I stand by my previous statement that cats are dumb, for the record. I'm just continuing to go on that record. I would wholeheartedly disagree with you. But well, we're allowed to disagree, you know, but but my point is also in line with your point that like what do you care? You bought the thing for the thing and then by staring at the creature and being like why are you not playing with this thing that I bought you in this moment? You're kind of forcing the creature into the situation of like you're projecting onto it. You're like, well, this is how you should react to this gift that I'm giving you. But that's how you expect other primates to act, other simians, bro. And like a dog and a cat is not a simian. That's all I'm saying. Right. Though I will say I totally forgot about this. So I went to the pet store to get this little toy for Claude. It's like this tiny little pet store and there's a cat named Gary who lives there. He's lived there for years. Gary did indeed. He like supervised my pick. He helped me. I would like put things in front and I would like see how Gary would react. Uh He like right when I walked up to the cat toy station, he greeted me. He's like, meow, meow. Walked up, meow, meow. And then patiently sat and I showed him my choices. He picked the pouncing prawn. It wasn't like, it was... It was well-received. Claude liked it. But again, not as much as he enjoyed the plastic top of the bottle this morning. Well, listen, (laughs) when I think of prawns, I think of the fruit of the sea. And when I think of Claude, I think of the sea. So like la mer, fruta la mer. Like, I feel like it's all right. I feel like it feels like a very on-brand choice. Claude was named after W.C. I mean, I could only assume that. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the decapods are the sirens. You know, we just perhaps we just may never know. <laughs> Ultimately, Meredith, I think that what we really need to come back to here is <laughs> our central line of inquiry that we seem to have discovered with internet pet product reviews, and that is. It is very common for the humans of animals to project things onto the animal mm-hmm. and onto things related to the animal that are perhaps unrealistic and that maybe we as simians could become more cognizant of the experience of the carnivora, you know? Sure. And of perhaps the mental state and dare I say the mental capacity. I don't want to seem classist, you know, but like... I just have a lot of thoughts and 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 feelings. That was a taxonomy joke about classes. No, I know, but aren't we in the same class? Are we in the same class? Kingdom phylum. Uh, Ma- mammalia. Class mammalia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm no. I I think okay, great. I can delete <laughs> the classism joke. But like, look, I just think that when it comes to order, like we have to understand that. As primates, maybe we speak a different language than our carnivora friends. And I mean, you could extend this all the way up to our tunicate friends that we just spoke on. You know, like, what of the mollusk? Like, how can you not look at a cephalopod and be like, ooh, you're smart. Like, those octopuses escaping from aquariums and shit, like, they're figuring it out. Like, they're smarter than we think animals can be. Right. And so there's this entire consciousness and thing we don't understand. I frequently think of the question on OKCupid back in the day that was like, is there something that separates us from animals? And of course, 
philosophically, emotionally, spiritually, all that shit. I'm like, no, dude, we're fucking animals. But like we have written language and that is what separates us. But we don't know of the telepathic language of the mollusk, the pheromonal language of the mollusk. We know not of that. We don't know all of these things, you know. How can we apply our expectations of Gumby Chew Toys onto the expectations of a dog when they encounter a Gumby Chew Toy for the first time, you know? Right. Well, that's why I appreciate those reviews that are just like, well, this is funny. He destroyed (laughs) it. That's what happens to toys. Yeah. I don't know. He's an aggressive chewer. And yeah, he fucked it up. If your dog's an aggressive chewer, I don't recommend this. Right. You can get it and he's going to fuck it up. Enjoy. (laughs) Well, that was (laughs) a bigger. More depth than expected from Internet Pet Product Reviews this week. I know. I had no idea we were going to get like this. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, break time. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who. Texana me. Kingdom. Animalia. Duh, we've been doing this for over a year. Phylum. Chordata. You should know this too. Duh, they have a spine. Class. Mammalia. Oh my god, live young. Duh. Order. Artiodactyla, even toad, ungulate squad, G. Family. Bovie Day, cloven hooved ruminants. Genus. Conicades, they killed Mufasa. Species. Conicades, taurinus. It hates a helk, it's a gnu, aka the blue wildebeest. Oh my god, you're doing the gnu? I'm doing the gnu. <laughs> Meredith, this is an iconic creature of like. Because of, yes. Of us. Well, because of the song, because of the I'm a Gnu. A Gnu, Gnu, that song. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I'll I'll sing it. Hold on. Okay. I'm <laughs> giving by. all my tricks away. So I was inspired to do this because last week, you know, I love talking about the animal appearances and the crossword. So the clue was it's news to me, which is spelled news spelled G-N-U-S. Because it's actually pronounced new instead of GNU, but I think everybody says GNU. (laughs) Okay, okay. And GNU, as I'm going to continue to say, because I just can't not at this point, is another term for wildebeest. So it was like, it's GNU's to me, and then the answer was wildebeest, which I thought was like really brilliant. (laughs) Okay, sure. And I was very excited because hanging out with the crowd that we did at CCM, there was cool kids. All this buzz, probably because of our, the cool kids, because of our cool friend Roger, who was very familiar with this British duo, Flanders and Swan. They're like a mid-century duo, and they wrote what's called a bestiary. Uh Uh-huh. So bestiaries in the traditional sense are these like medieval um, collections of kind of like moral tales around a collection of animals, even mythical animals, for instance. Yes. And then kind of... I don't know, maybe turn of the century into the 1920s, um, a lot of composers would write their own bestiaries, be it um, from pre-existing poetry or from other sources, but like a lot of the French, like members of Les Six, like the the six, yes. the main six, the French composers, like three of them wrote a, a version of a bestiary. So Flanders and Swan 
but they're more of kind of like, they're less like modern classical music and more like kind of cabaret right. styled right. things, very lyric based. Yes. A lot of wordplay, clever words. Yes. It is like phenomenal. And we kind of talk about Flanders and Swan all the time in my household. Sure. And one of them is the song called I'm a Good New. <laughs> And it's really so charming. It's like some of the lyrics are like, I'm a GNU, another GNU. I wish I could ganache my teeth at you. I'm a GNU. How do you do? You really ought to know who's who. I'm a GNU, spelled G-N-U. Call me bison or a copy and I'll sue. Gnor am I in the least like that dreadful heart to beast? Oh no, GNU, GNU, I'm a GNU. That was really fun, Meredith. That's the GNU song. <laughs> so it was so cute and I was like you know I've never really thought much about wildebeest in general all I really knew about them is that they killed Mufasa they did they did although you could argue that it's not their fault oh it's not their fault as we'll learn like they were just doing what nature tells them to do yeah Scar got them good in their great migration uh-huh what I said Scar got them good Scar well the wildebeest and the lion king when they killed Mufasa well there was really the hyenas but they were doing the bidding of Scar Right, but the wildebeest... The stampede was started by Scar. But I thought Mufasa was... Wait, wasn't he trampled? Yes, but the stampede was started by Scar and the hyenas. Oh, oh, I forgot this. I just assumed it was part of their great migration because they're the largest migrating mammal group on Earth. I'm not quite sure of their migration status at that point (laughs) in the film, Meredith, but... I think that the actual stampede itself was <laughs> an evilly hatched plan on account of Mufasa and the hyenas. I think that was what Be Prepared led up to. I think that was like the dramatic function of Be Prepared is that it was the scheme song. Okay, that makes sense. Or maybe it was part of like, like Scar knew that the the stampede would be coming because it comes every year. Ah. And he made a, he like found a way to like position Simba and Mufasa there when he knew the stampede would be coming. Sure. That sounds plausible, right? I don't know. Sure. Let's get... I think they're both plausible. I don't know. Send in your Lion King dramaturgical analysis to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. So enough of these flights of fancy. Let's get into our tax facts. So a lot of this, this is actually going to be very easy tax facts. So... Artiodactyla, or Artiodactyla, uh, as YouTube oh told gosh. me to pronounce yeah. it. Um, God, Ungulate Squad well, is just going through a very difficult rebranding period. <laughs> no, it's okay. We're fine. It will make it through. I hope so. Okay, so obviously, Artiodactyla, even toed ungulates, we know their weight is distributed on their third and fourth toes. We know this. And then we move into our family of Bovidae. So remember, this includes like our buffalo, our bison, American bison, things like sheep, antelope, and of course our friendly cows. And then we can just quickly move right on into genus. This is again, so simple. I love it. So conicates, which is by the time we get to genus, we are into wildebeest. We are done, done. And there's only two species. We've got the black wildebeest and we got the blue wildebeest. Uh-huh. So easy. I love it. Bam, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Wildebeest comes from the Dutch for wild beast. That's boring. But 
Konakades, I like this one, comes from the Greek for flowing beard. <laughs> oh, my God. So as we'll talk about with appearance, some of these um, will to be some pretty resplendent beard hair. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah, I feel so like... stay tuned for that. Most bovi day, I feel like, and I would say ungulates in general, I think beards, goatees, that's a whole human facial hairstyle named after some ungulates. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we see some goatee-like action on the face of the wildebeest. Go on. <laughs> so when we get to Conicates taurinus, this is our blue wildebeest. Mm. And there are a few subspecies within this, I think like five, which will actually determine, depending on the subspecies, like what color the beard will be or whether or not their mane hair will like flow down over their shoulders if it will like spike up like all punk style. Uh-huh. So that all happens, like those differences in appearance, um, hairstyle, if you will. Those happen at the level of subspecies. But in terms of like the main differences between um, the blue wildebeest and the black wildebeest, the main difference is like the coloring. So blue wildebeest kind of have like a silvery gray sheen to them, whereas the black wildebeest are a lot more black. And there's differences in the horn, the horns on each of them as well. And is also in terms of their uh, distribution. So um, the black wildebeest have a much smaller distribution like in the tip like very southern Africa whereas the blue wildebeest have a much more wide range and also they have this migration that's very far-reaching as well uh-huh yes okay so now we can get into the fun part which is the appearance which I've talked about a little bit so we've got these silvery gray sheens on their coats but they also mm. have these black stripies that kind of come down like over their shoulders Ooh. and it's this term brindle which you'll hear with dogs sometimes it's kind of these like stripes that kind of almost resemble like the way like rib cages would run uh-huh i often hear it associated with like um like greyhounds that are brindled they'll be kind of like brown but then they'll have these like thin gray stripes down their backs sure um so actually another word for the blue wildebeest is the brindled gnu <laughs> The brindled gnu. How fun. I didn't realize that wildebeest and gnu were the same thing. I'm like a I little startled, Meredith. I just have to say. I didn't know that either until that crossword clue. I was a little bit like, holy shit. It's true. Uh, it's good true. It's yeah. Good like another good truth. <laughs> so there is some sexual dimorphism, but actually not a whole, whole lot because it's mostly just by size. Like males will get to like 650 pounds, women like. 550, 570, uh -huh. but both of them have horns, like little parentheses-shaped horns that come out out of their heads. Oh, Little parentheses. That's adorable. Yeah. And they both possess these black manes, and like I said, with the beards, and depending on the subspecies, you'll have like a white beard or a black beard. <laughs> uh-huh. And I lost my shit for some reason when I read this description on Wikipedia, but it described them as having a Roman nose. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So that's where like the bridge kind of like the bridge of the nose protrudes uh -huh. a bit. Yeah. And they yeah, do yeah, kind yeah. of have Roman noses. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Or another term was a pronounced muzzle. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so cute. And then I was looking at a picture of one like head on and they've got like extra shag that kind of like comes down over their snout as well. So they've got these beards. They've got this like real long metal black hair comes down over their shoulders but they've got this like fringe on their 
snouts as well. Snout shag. Oh my God. I'm watching The Sopranos right now. And yes. So when you say Roman noses, I feel like I'm reminded <laughs> of the scene where it's like Tony's encountering a Hasidic person that he's doing business with. Uh-huh. And the, he's like, you know, beating up on the guy. And the guy says something along the lines of like, oh, well, you know, Jews have been persecuted since Rome, the Roman time. And where are the Romans now? And Tony Soprano says, like, we're the Romans, like kind of, you know, looks at him this sort of way. And so I'm just picturing James Gandolfini's nose, but on an ox, <laughs> on a wildebeest, on a wildebeest, on a gnu, like another gnu. <laughs> Another like uh another G- Gandolfini James Gnu Dolfini, <laughs> R.I.P. I know that's so sad. Edie Falco in that show is a revelation. I have to say that some of the most incredible acting I've ever seen anywhere ever ever period ever period, like she's really wonderful. That performance is amazing. I came out of. Yeah, I came out of that series like, oh, my God, Edie Falco. And she had breast cancer through a lot of that filming. Like, that woman... It's like Chadwick Boseman having cancer through a lot of those last years of his mega fame. You know, it's like, fuck, man. I know. These people, I just... How do they do it? God bless. So, yeah. (laughs) Sidebar nation. Yeah. Less about Rome, more about GNU's. So, let's talk GNU behavior. Good behavior. So they're most active in the morning and they're herbivores that love grazing. So they live in the savannas, right? So I mentioned that they live in the savannas of like Angola, Botswana, Kenya, Mozambique, um, at the southern tip, like South Africa, Swaziland, and let's see, Tanzania, Zambia, and Zimbabwe. So eastern into southern Africa. So they love their grass. Who doesn't? And for this reason, they actually hang out with some Pariso <laughs> dactyla friends. Oh. Um, the zebras. Ooh, the zebras. So they actually hang out. They hang out together because the zebras like to feast on the more like unnutritious like grass tips, which leaves available the more nutritious like grass bottoms for the gnus to feast upon what did you just call me did you just call me a grass bottom i did <laughs> i sure did i just wanted to make sure oh thank you oh thanks. <laughs> but there's it's me there's also some benefit to it in terms of like predation as well because it's like it kind of increases the number of the herd so the more eyes that are kind of like keeping an eye out the more people that you have kind of hanging out together the more options there are for an alert system when somebody spots a predator uh-huh. and actually baboons get in on this too right. so often baboons will sound the alarm before anything uh-huh and so all the animals kind of like perk up and they know like Oh shit, I gotta be on the lookout. Uh-huh. So their major predators are lions, chitas, leopards, African wild dogs, hyenas, and crocs. Uh-huh. Not the shoes. They were all victims to them in terms of fashion. My friend Shane posted a picture of him wearing his partner's crocs, and Shane's smaller than his partner. Mm-hmm. So they were just these giant ass white crocs on Shane's feet. <laughs> Like probably like size 15 Crocs on like size nine feet. And it was, it looked like when my niece wears Crocs, when Brandon puts on my Crocs too, I'm like, honey, (laughs) tiny little feet, (laughs) big old shoes. (laughs) 
so cute. That is. And like I said, like I mentioned earlier, as it is up for debate as to how this migration began in The Lion King. Yes. There is a big migration with the blue wildebeest, not the black. The black wildebeest do not migrate, whereas the blue ones do. And like I said, it's the largest land mammal migration on Earth. And so actually it's like the migration will begin, but there's like no discernible signal as to like how it'll start. Uh-huh. It's just like they smell something in the air and they just know it's time to go. Hmm. Huh. Which is why our beginning of the Lion King migration is so contested because it could just begin spontaneously. Exactly. Exactly. Who knows? Kuna Matata. Certainly not Disney. So in terms of reproduction, reproduction. The breeding season lasts about three weeks. And this is like maybe the superlative in our animal yearbook for like the witchiest thing of the animals. But the breeding season begins after the rainy season on the night of a full moon. Ooh. How romantic. <laughs> Ooh. I know. So it begins at the end of the rainy season because this is when all of the all the animals are going to be like all the wildebeest are going to be most nutritionally like beefed up. Yeah. They're going to be wet. They're going to be wet and they're going to be ready to mingle. Wet and soggy. <laughs> Sexy. So the males will first try to establish territories and this is done. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So they mark their territories with heaps of dung, secretions <laughs> from their scent glands and Ooh. certain behaviors, which include standing with an erect posture. I bet. Profuse ground pawing. Ooh. And horning. So I guess horning the ground. Okay. This is my favorite. Frequent defecation. When you gotta go, you gotta go. Right? Rolling and bellowing. Same. And then the sound of ganoo being produced. So they literally go, ganoo. 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 I thought the sound of ganoo being produced was a kind of polite way of saying the sounds of copulation. What? The sound of GNU being produced, I thought, was a polite way of saying the sounds of copulation because they'd be producing GNU. <laughs> exactly. I don't GNU. I don't get either. Okay, this is also great. All of these displays of aggression and territory are ways to lure the, la- to lure the ladies in to their territory, okay? Ooh, so when la. one is ready, she'll, like, rub her head on his torso. She'll sniff his GNU-ness. <laughs> His scent glands? No, his penis. Ew. <laughs> then she'll hold her tail to the side. His galans. <laughs> his Wait, g- she'll flag? She'll flag like our canines do? She'll hold her yes. tail to the side? Oh, my God. Yes. We- yes. All right, we got more flagging. <laughs> more flagging. And so the calves are born after about eight and a half months. Good cute. Yeah. Usually within three weeks of all the other calves. Because if this is all triggered by the same full moon... All of presumably all of the calves would be like conceived sure. around the same time. So like a herd of a herd of creatures would kind of have a herd of calves around the same moment. Exactly. Because they're all in sync with the full moon. Exactly. Their cycles are saints, if you will. Same. They and the calves, this is kind of interesting. It makes us human babies look like doofuses. The calves can stand like within a few hours and they're able to like run alongside mommy within like two days. Wow. Which is kind of necessary because, like, it's it's not long after this, it's like, the migration will begin in full force. So they've got to be able to move it and move it. We like to move it. Move it, move it. So um, just some other miscellaneous facts. 
these migrations actually are majorly disrupted by kind of like division of land, like informal divisions of land, like fences and things like that. And of course, all of the classics, like destruction of habitat, reduced right. sources of water, like they yeah. have to have water. All the human stuff, yeah. But also because they're a major tourist draw, there is some interest in like having reserves for them, other conservancies or game lands for them to live upon. I mean, often uses meat and as a source for leather, unsurprisingly, like other bovidae, you know, that happens. Yeah. But man, there is just one crazy YouTube video after another of like wildebeests either in the migration or getting like picked off by cheetahs. But I did see one that was very interesting where this wildebeest was trying to get into like a watering hole to drink. There were a whole bunch of them and it got snagged by like three crocs. And then all of these hippos appeared and they like pulled the crocs off the wildebeest and the wildebeest was like able to get out. It's like Ardeodactyla squad like coming to the rescue. Teamwork makes the dream work. That's what I always say. Isn't that funny? I mean, there's probably some like real heartbreaking reason like the hippos have no like they have like some vendetta against the crocs and it wasn't like some altruistic reason that they were helping their fellow hooven creatures but that they were just like get the fuck out of my territory crocs i like to think that it was both meredith i like to think it was both a croc vendetta and a undulate squad (laughs) activate yeah i guess they can be they can coincide that's that's cool i like that perspective I'm here to provide perspective, Meredith. You sure are. What a great perspective it is. Well, I mean, that's like, that's my um, GNU presentation. Well, Meredith, that's great information. (laughs) Good, thank you. Okay, let me just see if I can recap and tell you what I remember. (laughs) Wildebeest are actually GNU. Mm -hmm. And vice versa. And vice versa. GNU and Wildebeest interchangeable. You have not watched Lion King recently enough to recognize that the Wildebeest Stampede was without a doubt started by Scar and the Hyenas after scheming during the entire musical number, Be Prepared. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you're right. I have not seen it at all recently. However, I would say both your teeth and your ambition are bared. So I think that you're (laughs) still kind of abiding by the song, which I appreciate. Mm Mm-hmm. If you want great facial hair stylings, look to Ungulate Squad. If you want interspecies collaboration amongst class, look to Ungulate Squad. If you want a sort of like, hey, let's be wary of those crocodilians, look to Ungulate Squad. I think Mm -hmm. that those are all really important takeaways. It's so true. And I think that, you know, I just like kind of the blue, gray, black, like color palette, I think is really fun. I'm really into it, too. I love it. I love that on animals. Oh, my gosh. My mom showed me this picture the other day of these, like, Turkish horses that are, like, golden. They, like, shimmer in the sun. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. They looked fake. I'll never forget when I worked at the music store when I was in high school. And this racist drunk guy was in there. And he was saying something about, like, Zildjian symbols. And, like, I don't know. They were, like, Turkish and how he like wouldn't buy them and i started with my you know like naive 16 17 year old i was like well you know all symbols are actually kind of from turkey because it's like a turkish tradition yes that has led to our modern symbols and my boss at the time just kind of waved me off he was like he was like (laughs) just stop 
And I remember that being a very clear moment where I was like, all right, this guy's a drunk racist. Like, I'm not going to get anywhere with him. I'm gonna Sir, kinda... have you never um, heard of Janissaries? <laughs> <laughs> you are mostly unfamiliar with the jingling Johnny. <laughs> Which is a real thing. Y'all can look it up. I love a jingling Johnny. Well, Meredith, that was, as I said before, great. I thought that was very good, interesting, and <laughs> now I feel like I can move forward in my life and know that wildebeests are gnus. You got it. Break time. <laughs> whoa, whoa! What do you think? I'm stupid. You expect me to believe this is your ID? Abe, this idiot doesn't think we can tell the difference between a kid axolotl and an adult. Get the hell out of here, kid, and don't even think about coming back until you're at least 18 months old. Ed, these chumps are getting more and more brazen by the day. Well, good thing the brand clubby dance discotheque has the good sense to hire us. And Nabe, the Moose Knuckles professional moose bouncers. You got that right, Ed. As the heaviest extant deer species, we got the keen observational skills of an ungulate, but also the terrifying brawn necessary to call any hood a rowdy club goers. From ferrets to flamingos, we break up any dispute over territory or mates. Call us for all your security needs at bars and sports clubs, nightclubs, hotels, lex, and comedy clubs. Join the over 50 fine establishments throughout the tri-state area who've chosen us and the name, the Moose Knuckles Professional Moose Bouncers. They choose us because as we always say, monkey business gets you a Moose Knuckle knuckle to to the face. got an extra treat it's black eyed peas i do love some legumes in my feed bag let's get it started let's get it started and yeah not the band silly the legume (laughs) craig from indianapolis writes i was chatting with some of my slug friends the other day and they were just torn up over their lack of representation amongst the plethora of other animal emoji. There's other mollusca, like a snail and a conch and a friggin' squid. There's no slugs. What's up with that? Oh, you know, I, wow. Craig. I was not aware of this. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're entering sort of the realm of emoji politics and what doesn't not. Which we know yes, is what doesn't does not make make the cut is a complicated matter. It's true. I mean, yeah, I I didn't realize there weren't any slugs in there. But yeah, I guess there is a snail. There is definitely a squid. Could it be that slugs might be hard to depict? Like they don't have necessarily like a, you know, no shade, no slug shade here. No, no, no. Well, I think maybe is it that a snail is more visually recognizable than like a slug? Like a slug could also be a caterpillar. Is it kind of like one of those like, well, right? what is the general shape of it? And what's the iconic image from it? Like, or a leech. Are snails just more popular than slugs? Yeah. Which just seems like a, you know, a double whammy of shittiness because like slugs are just homeless snails. 
Sure, sure. Well, is it... And now they're not getting their representation. Right. Right. Is it based on number of extant species, perhaps? Like, if you clear a certain threshold, then you get an emoji? Now, that is a line of inquiry to follow. That I don't know. That might be the thing, Craig. I feel like that wouldn't track with some of our charismatic megafauna, like elephants or, you know, other creatures, but... Definitely not. I guess this is also where Linnaean taxonomy breaks down. Yeah. Talk about a fraught field of of representation. Craig, did we answer your question? I hope so. I hope. Let's, you know... All right. We agree with you and your and your slug pals. Yeah. I would love to see a slug in there. I would use that all the time. I would say that even as a person that identifies as male and definitely has no question about that, I find the ability to use a gender neutral emoji to be a bit of a relief, quite frankly. I find it to be a little bit of a relief. So I sympathize with you, Craig, and your slug friends and wanting to be able to fully express yourself with a slug emoji. But I would hope that you could find some sort of molluscular solidarity with your snail friends as well. You know what I mean? And if you want to affect the change, then... Uh, make an attempt, I guess, I don't know, appeal to the Emoji Council. (laughs) And I would also encourage you to perhaps come up with combinations of extant emoji that can be used to express your community. Yes. Thank you. Ding, ding, ding. Well said. Ooh, this question is from friends of the pod, Keith and Jenny. (laughs) Hey, Keith. Hey, Jenny. We love you both. We hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. Say hi to Mimi the cat for us. Yes, or Fat Cat. I'm comfortable calling her that. <laughs> Otherwise, AKA known fat, as fat Cat. cat. I do not find that to be a derogatory name. I find that to be a name of endearment. Mm-mm. Me too. Well, Keith and Jenny want to know: Do birds have penises? <laughs> oh well, funny you should ask, because they actually don't. They don't. Not that I'm like a bird expert, but they've got cloacas. They do. And so, rather than like the normal, I guess like male female penetration that we associate with like mammals i don't know mammals yeah there's what's called the cloacal kiss <laughs> in which the clo like the gametes so like the sperm and the egg they meet through like touching cloacas together yeah. it's that that's where the transference occurs is through the kiss right rather than through insertion right and the cloaca is kind of like a region that houses like the poop output, like the poop output, like the anus, as well as like any liquid output, as well as like sexual reproductive mm-hmm. circumstances. Exactly. Keith and Jenny, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah. I will say, Keith and Jenny, that as you continue on this cloaca journey, that you'll encounter reptilians who have hemipenes. Oh, yes. Like, I think the squamates <laughs> yeah. all had hemipenes, if I remember right. I may be remembering wrong. Mm-hmm. And so the hemipene, it's like a hemisphere, you know, like there's the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. So a hemipene is like two parts of the peen organ, if you will. And I know you will, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> And in some species of 
those creatures with hemipenes, they'll like use one side and then they'll use the other side the next time they mate. So they'll like alternate. It's kind of like a one two punch, you know? <laughs> but like it, you know, you encounter, I guess, male penis like structures, you could say, but it would all be within a cloaca. And it may not look like kind of the conventional, dare I say, dick and balls that you may be thinking of <laughs> in this moment. All right. A fish position. Yeah. No penises, but cloacas. Yeah, they got cloacas. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. Our final question of the year. Oh, man. And we clearly didn't get to this question in November, so we're going to get it in now. But Oh, we're a little backlogged here in the feedback. We sure are. Oof. Maybe we should do a special feedback edition where we just answer all the questions that we have piled up. That's a great idea. I love that idea. Stay tuned for that. Well, Darnell from Dallas asks, do walruses get really smug during No Shave November? Darnell, I feel like you've moved around since the last time you wrote us. I hope everything's going well with you. <laughs> Darnell is on the move. Uh, I mean, I don't really know that walruses subscribe to the Gregorian calendar. Right. I mean, every month is no shave November for walruses. Right, right. And seeing how everyone else gets so smug about no shave November, I say you go for it, walruses. You wallow in that. One of the greatest things about leaving the barista industry is that I didn't have to listen to some office working fuck wearing some fucking shit fucking outfit that they got at fucking Kohl's <laughs> tell me that they weren't shaving their fucking mustache for a fucking good cause because they could all fuck right off. I <laughs> couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I would say Coles is probably uh, for the for the who. If I'm thinking of who, I'm thinking you're thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> if you know that for that demographic, base. yes, I sure do. Ugh. I would say Coles is probably a low ball. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think you're thinking it's more like I'm thinking like J <laughs> J O S <laughs> Bank J-O-S Clothiers. Bank. Okay. Maybe men's warehouse on a bad day. Yeah. Well, Meredith, I'm going to say this a little cleaner now. (laughs) You know, Meredith, one of the many joys of leaving the barista industry is that I don't have to listen to some doofus wearing Cole's clothing tell me that he's wearing a mustache, which makes him look like a fucking doofus. (laughs) And that it's quote unquote, for a good cause. I'm very glad to be past that point. Okay, here's the thing. Cause I see these ads like in the subway and it's like no shave November. And I literally have no idea what the cause is. It's one of those advertisements that says nothing about what is clearly something related to charity, but they won't state the charity. And I'm like, quit being cute. Do you want to raise money or do you want to look cool? Right. Do you want to hear my guess, Meredith? Yes, please. I think it's related to prostate cancer or other types of diseases that only affect males. So I would assume it would be testicular cancers and prostate cancers. Okay. But the problem is, is that a typical straight American male is so scared that even if he thinks that he may have a butt, that that would make him gay. Let alone like if he touched his butt... (laughs) Or if somebody else touched his butt, or if a doctor did like a medical examination that could potentially save his life that involved like sticking something up his butt, God forbid. 
So I think that the mustache <laughs> and no shave November is a way to kind of not talk about butt stuff. Okay, that's that's very interesting. I would also I like to clearly state that I'm fond of mustaches and I'm actually very into the mustache trend that has been coming back lately. I feel like lots of my friends have mustaches and I would like to say that nearly all of them look fantastic in their mustaches. And I think everyone should celebrate their yeah. facial hair and wear it however they please. Where I take umbrage is just in general smugness around like, oh, well, I'm not shaving, so I'm a good person. But I, I can't actually talk about what right. I'm being a good person about because if I did, that might mean that I'm kind of gay because I'm talking about prostate and sex stuff and the current American culture that's at least pervasive is so repressed about sexuality and about sexual expression and expression of yes. gender and expression of emotions by males in particular that mm -hmm. it's just uh, maybe it's a step in the right direction. So maybe it's good in that sense, but it's also just like, y'all, man up. Right. Have feelings for fuck's sake, you know? Express your feelings. Communicate. Well. Be a man. You know who loves to express their feelings and also likes things up their butt? Who's that? The walrus. <laughs> <laughs> we have gotten a little far off the walrus, haven't we? Any old walrus. Well, I guess ding, ding, ding. Yeah, they can feel smug. Sure. But they're walruses. Sure. They've got a lot to feel smug about. Sure. <laughs> oh, Meredith, Meredith, this has kind of lined up perfectly because it's the end of the feed bag and it's New Year's Eve here in the Dalmatian station and it's 11.59 and I think, oh, right. oh my, wait, oh my God, it's happening, Meredith, it's 10, <gasps> 9, Nine, eight, 8, 7, seven six, 6, 5, <laughs> 4, four three, 3, 2, two. One. One. Happy New Year! <laughs> 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 for your listenership in 2020. And look forward to your continued loyalty in 2021. Raise a hoof. Talons up. Claspers engage. For a brighter future through a love for animals. And don't forget to send your feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Frog Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. 
Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app that really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal 